Bibles up this evening to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. So the last time um, we were looking at the values of the early church, we're looking at it through the eyes of Peter. And through multiple references from the book of Acts, um, Peter reminded us that we need to desperately rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and that's a continual thing, daily to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember in these series, we're asking these questions. If a leader of the early church were to show up here today, what would they say? Again, would they be surprised? Would they be frustrated, confused, disgusted, joyful? What would they say? What kind of advice or counsel would they give to us? Do we value today the same things that they value um, so tonight we're going to look at the assessment given to us by Barnabas, right? So Barnabas is the next fellow. And I think if Barnabas were here tonight, and I thought long and hard about this one, because um, it was not easy. Barnabas is a character that we all want to associate encouragement with. And that's good because that's kind of what the apostles nicknamed him as a son of encouragement. But if, I, if he were here, I think we would sum it up this way. Barnabas would say this. He would say, keep the mission moving forward. That's what I think Barnabas would say. Now, in 2003, a book hit the shelves called Moneyball, The Art of Winning an Unfair Game. It's a movie made out of it. But the book detailed one of Major League Baseball teams' efforts to change the way they looked at their recruiting. Okay? So while other teams recruited I'll say it right, recruited players based on intangible qualities such as physical appearance, courage, uh, leadership, confidence, intelligence, etc. The Oakland A's, athletics, if you don't know the full name, uh, the front office ignored these subjective qualities and started to focus more on objective statistics. Okay, Plain and simple, a baseball game is won by getting men on base and then getting them across home plate. Okay, it's a real simple game. That's the way it works. So when choosing players, they ask themselves the fundamental question, right? Does the player get on base? Okay, not what does he look like, not how smart is he, not how intelligent is he, not what kind of Instagram following does he have, okay? That probably wasn't a thing back in 2003. <laughs> Does the player get on base? And by focusing on this new approach, the ball club started winning games, lots of games. And after more than 100 years of recruiting baseball players, many teams have become so sophisticated in their selection process, they forget about the essential qualities that win them baseball games. Now, in a similar way, I look at the church today, and there's a lot of sophistication going on when what is really needed is for us to focus on the essentials. I mean, we ask ourselves the question, why is it so bad just to live a normal Christian life? What's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. Isn't that what scripture teaches? Simple obedience to Christ, partnering with his church to move the mission forward. Barnabas, is, his advice is not sophisticated, it's not difficult, it's not hard, it's rather simplistic. 
Just keep the mission moving forward. Now, Jesus, before he ascended back to the Father in Acts chapter 1, tells us that he left the apostles with a specific mission of being his witnesses. Now, if the Holy Spirit is the most important character in the book of Acts, then the word witnesses is the most important word in the book of Acts, showing up more than 40 times. Now, the apostles had a unique responsibility of being eyewitnesses of the resurrection because they saw him with their own eyes. But the job of witnesses to others has been passed down to Christians for every generation. In fact, that's what Jesus gives us this charge we call the Great Commission. Go out into the world and tell them about me. I'm paraphrasing. You know, we don't know if Barnabas saw the resurrected Christ. Maybe he was one of the hundred that Jesus appeared to during those 40 days while Jesus, uh, or post-resurrection. We don't know about Barnabas. We don't know if that happened. What we do know is that Barnabas was committed to doing whatever was necessary to keep the mission moving forward. And that's really a good question that we ought to be keeping in our minds as we work through the life of Barnabas here. Barnabas' desire here to keep the mission moving forward is seen in a couple of passages that we're going to look at. And while his name isn't mentioned a lot through Acts, sometimes in some sections it is, he's definitely a major player with a lot of great influence. So I want you to turn to Acts chapter 4. You're probably already there. And I want you to look at verse 32. And we're going to look at this first part of Barnabas. So number one, if you can throw it up there. Barnabas had a generous spirit. Barnabas had a generous spirit. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. It says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they all had things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great peace, or excuse me, great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, or Joseph in other translations, who was also named uh, uh, Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it before the apostles' feet. So this is the first time that we come across Barnabas. This is the first time he shows up in the book of Acts. And there's a couple of things that happen. The first thing is that his real name is not Barnabas just in case you want to know that. His real name is Joseph, or uh, some translations will say Joseph. Um, that's his real name. It's the apostles who gave him a nickname, and that nickname has to do with his character. Just like uh, you might have a nickname that's based on your personality, or, or sometimes we have nicknames based on the very opposite of our personality, and sometimes on purpose. Like somebody that's named Tiny, but they're really, really big fella, you know? So sometimes it's the opposite, okay? So the apostles gave him this name because it was based upon his character. And, and so no sooner than introducing his name, he is attached with this idea of encouragement, encouragement. So it would seem that, first of all, he's generous with his words because an encourager is generous with their words. They're giving you a lot of encouragement with their words. An encourager is someone you need on your team. You want them on your team, the situation can be dire. You can be lost. You can be down by 
20 runs in a baseball game, but your encourager that's on your team is going to be keeping that spirit up. They're going to say, hey, let's turn around our hats. Let's do our rally caps. Uh, you know, they're going to do whatever it takes to keep the encouragement level up. He's one to cheer you on when things don't look good. The early church needed much encouragement. They were suffering under the weight of persecution. Not just from religious leaders, but also from their Jewish friends who didn't see Jesus as the Messiah. They thought, you guys are crazy. That Jesus that we crucified, he's the Messiah? Yeah, he's the one. Now, I don't believe that, they'd say. So Barnabas had generosity with his words. He also had generosity, this is kind of what we know him for, with his resources, with his finances. He sold a piece of land, and he gave the full proceeds to the church leadership for them to use as they saw fit, probably to help with the widows, maybe to help with um, uh, some of the Christians who were being persecuted. Uh, Some people believe that the land that he'd sold could have been a burial plot uh, in Jerusalem that he owned. And if that were the case, that would have been a lot of money. And so he would have donated that to the church for its use. Um, Barnabas, so ethically, or excuse me, ethnically, Barnabas was a Jew. Culturally, he was a Hellenist, which means he didn't have a problem with adopting some of the Greek culture. And vocationally, his job, he was a Levite. Now, in Old Testament times, we remember the teaching about the Levite. A Levite was not permitted to own property, but it seems like by about the first century, some of that had changed. And so uh, the Levites were often very wealthy, very well educated, okay? So later on in the narrative in Acts, in Acts chapter 6, there's a little verse in Acts chapter 6, verse 7. It says that a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And so I wonder if Barnabas had anything to do with that. I wonder if his example, because as a Levite, he would have known many of the priests, was a tipping point for many of these priests to come to faith in Christ, He would also have been familiar with the Old Testament law, things like that. That's why Barnabas, some people think he wrote the book of Hebrews. So that's one for you to delve into. You'll spend your lifetime trying to figure that one out. So in the context of Barnabas' ministry, he gave financially. But giving doesn't always mean your money. Giving can mean your time, your talents, your abilities, your resources. The principle here is that a generous spirit what we're saying, is needed by all Christians to keep the mission of the gospel moving forward, okay? We need to be generous, not only with our tithes and our offerings, but our resources, our gifts, our time. God has gifted us with certain things that he hasn't gifted other people with. God has given some people more time than others. And so we're to use those things, what Barnabas is showing us, use those things to keep the mission moving forward. All right, Acts chapter 9. Move ahead to Acts chapter 9, verse 26. The next part of what Barnabas does for us here. Barnabas was willing, number two, to take risks. Was willing to take risks. Acts chapter 9, look at verse 26. Look what it says. 26, uh, chapter 9, verse 26. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. 
And when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. So Barnabas is willing to take risks. So what happens is this. Soon after the speech of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, there's a widespread persecution that takes place. And that introduces us to the man named Saul, who, who, who later we know him as Paul. Same guy, just uses his different name, just like me using my first name, last name. Same guy, okay? So if I change back and forth between Saul and Paul, I'm not making any distinctions. I'm just Sometimes you just say Saul and sometimes you say Paul. <laughs> so Saul, as the, uh, he asked the high priest permission to go north to Damascus. He wants to find more Christians who are fleeing this persecution from Jerusalem. They're going north to Damascus, okay? And on the way to Damascus, Paul gets his Damascus Road experience, his, his experience. He sees the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. He switches sides almost immediately from being a persecutor of the church to a proclaimer you know, of the gospel message. And the people who know Saul, they don't like what they see. They are nervous that this might be a new strategy. Oh, maybe he's trying to say he's a disciple, but he's not really one, so he can get inside the ranks of the church and do some major damage. They were a little nervous, okay? And because of the resistance he receives in Damascus, he feels his best, hey, well, maybe I'll go back down south to Jerusalem and join the ranks of the disciples there. Surely they'll believe, you know, my conversion was real. And the disciples in Jerusalem, they share the same feeling, don't they? They didn't believe his conversion was real. But then Barnabas steps into the picture here. And Barnabas, you have to look at this. Barnabas takes an enormous risk. I mean, this is big. This is huge. This is an enormous risk. What if he were wrong? It would be the worst mistake he's ever made in his life. What if this was just a new strategy to get within the ranks of the disciples so he could tear them apart from within? You know, Jesus told us many times that the mission is not without its risks. A mission by nature of the word, mission, cries a certain amount of danger and uncertainty. But Barnabas alone here opens the door to Saul. Not one of the other apostles did. It says a lot for Barnabas, doesn't it? None of the other apostles where they were like, I don't know. Can we just watch you from a distance for a while? Let's watch your ministry from a distance. They didn't want to let him in because he had been known as one who persecuted the church. He was there as Stephen was being stoned to death. He was listening to Stephen's speech. He was holding the coats of those who are picking up the stones. I guess you can't pick up stones unless you take off your coat. I guess. I don't know. Okay. He was there watching all of this. But Barnabas steps in here, and he alone rejoiced in the mercy that God showed Paul. Praise the Lord. God showed him this mercy. If Barnabas did nothing else in the story of Acts than vouch for the authenticity of Saul's conversion, he still would go down in history as a, as a famous early church leader, as a man of character, or character, a man of integrity. You realize that if Barnabas didn't step up, then we wouldn't have the exploits of what Saul or what Paul has given to us in the whole rest of the New Testament. Just one guy. And for all we know, really, Barnabas only invests his life in two people. We're going to talk about the other guy later on. But two people, Saul or Paul and John Mark. Those are the only two that we know that he really invests his life in just two people. 
So Barnabas says, I'm just going to take these two people and I'm going to invest in these people's lives. That, like Brother Tim said this morning in the message, investing in people's lives, investing in your future. Okay, And that's all. Just two. Just those two. Keeps the mission moving forward. And what's interesting is if you look at verses 28 and 29, it says this. It says, so he was with them, Saul was, at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists. But they attempted to kill him. Now, Saul's kind of permitted to preach in the Jerusalem areas. And he begins witnessing to this group called the Hellenists. Okay, The Hellenists were the same group that Stephen was witnessing to back in Acts chapter 7. And next time we'll talk about Stephen. But the irony here is that Saul is now continuing the ministry of Stephen that had begun. And that same group that went around persecuting Stephen for his witnessing is also about to go after Saul for his witnessing. So as Stephen is being persecuted, being stoned to death in Acts chapter 7, he's going after the Hellenists. Saul is there watching the whole thing. Well, guess what? There's an ironic twist because now Saul is going to continue later on that ministry of Stephen. To keep the moving, to keep the mission moving forward, risks are a part of the job description. It, it doesn't mean that um, we need to be careless. Uh, rather, we should be calculated taking our risk. I mean, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe he's in control of all things. I believe he does all things for a reason. That doesn't mean I'm supposed to go out and stand in the middle of the interstate on I-64 and say, Lord, okay, you're in control. I'm taking a risk here. You know? And, and ironically, God would probably let me live and let me suffer for the rest of my life saying, you shouldn't have done that. You know, it doesn't mean we're supposed to take those kinds of risks. Do you think that Barnabas probably prayed about going after Saul? He probably thought about it. I mean, this was a big decision. You don't just choose anybody. You don't just stake your reputation on believing what this man has said, knowing what he's done in the past. I mean, how many of us would have been leery of accepting that risk? How many of us would have been like, I don't know. Mm. No, I, we probably would have done the same exact thing. Just like how many times we look at the Bible and the New Testament and we look at the days of Jesus and we say, if I were living during the days of Jesus, I would have believed. Well, would you have? I don't know. It's hard to say. Knowing what we know now, yeah, yeah, we would believe. But maybe not if we were put into that position. Taking risks I'm not talking about carelessness. I'm talking to be about being calculated. And the idea is that what's the most effective in advancing the mission? What's the most effective? I and mean, we have conversations like this in our staff meetings. What's the most effective way to reaching more people for Christ? What's the most effective way? How can we get the most effective way? What can we do? We have endless discussions sometimes it seems. But it's all part of keeping the mission moving forward. What's the best strategy. Some strategies require us to take more risk. Some are no-brainers, you know, like barbecue. That's no-brainer. It's not a risk, okay? Unless it's bad for you, then it's a risk. But even then, you might take that risk. How can I best use my gifts and my talents to advance the message? Barnabas, you look at him, he was a bridge builder is what he was. Uh, not literally. He was a bridge builder for the church in many ways. He brought groups to the table for the sake of the mission. So he brings the group of the apostles who are very, very, oh, I don't know. I don't know. 
And he brings Saul to the table. Who These two were, were enemies. They were against each other. And Barnabas here brings them together to the table and says, no, 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 we're on the same team now. We're on the same team. And if we combine our efforts, oh, we can do great things for God. And so he's a bridge builder. He brings groups to the table for the sake of the mission. He staked his reputation on the potential that he saw in Saul. Barnabas, it was never about himself. Again, Barnabas is always moving the mission forward. Taking risks are part of it. Always moving the mission forward. Number three, Barnabas knew the value of teamwork. Acts chapter 11. If you'll go there, the next time we see Barnabas, Acts chapter 11, and look at verse um, 19. He knew the value of teamwork. <clears throat> Verse 19. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who were... Um, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he had come and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all with that purpose of heart, that they should continue in the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and, of great, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so it was for a whole year they assembled together with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So again, back to Stephen. After the persecution, at the end of Stephen's speech in Acts chapter 7, everybody fled. They all left Jerusalem and they scattered. And there was a group that scattered and migrated north to find their way into the city of Antioch. News was spreading about some kind of revival that had taken place 300 miles north of Jerusalem in Antioch. And so there was some uncertainty about what was going on. And as a result, the church in Jerusalem finds Barnabas. They trusted Barnabas. They knew Barnabas was a good man. They knew Barnabas could handle this task. And they send him north to find out what's going on. What's your assessment, Barnabas? When Barnabas arrives, it seems as if he's overwhelmed. Lots of good things are happening. He encourages them to keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. But Barnabas was wise enough to notice that he noticed a need before it actually becomes a need. He knew these young believers getting saved would need training, would need instruction, would need teaching. These are young believers who feel like they can handle everything from the Bible and they want everything at once. It takes a little time. It takes a little time. You can't have everything at once. He knew they needed discipleship. And he needed a partner who could help him. And he knew exactly who to get. So Barnabas, again, takes another risk here. He brings Saul on board. And together they stay in Antioch for a year, discipling these new believers in Christ. He knew the value of teamwork, okay? So he didn't try to do it alone. He could have done it alone. The church was giving him authority from Jerusalem to, hey, go and do it alone. If you want to stay there and minister and help disciple all these, 
then by all means do it. But Barnabas leaves it right there. He leaves it and he goes and finds his friend Paul and says, Paul, I need your help. I need you to come with me. He was very strategic by way in doing this. He goes and grabs Paul. They come and they minister for a full year at Antioch. Charles Swindoll, someone that I read quite frequently, he says this. He says, Barnabas was humble and wise. Humble enough to recognize his limitations and wise enough to seek the best man to assist him in his responsibilities. And that's true. Barnabas knew who to get. By the way, Barnabas didn't contact the scholars and teachers in Jerusalem or the church to help him for authority. You ready? He traveled 100 miles in the opposite direction. That's not just a day's journey like it is for us to travel you know, two hours down the road to Lexington. We don't just get in our car and do that, okay? So Barnabas actually travels 100 miles in the opposite direction to go get someone that the church still doesn't maybe agree with, still doesn't, well, okay, we're we're still uncertain about Saul. We're beginning to like him more and more, but we need some time. He goes 100 miles in the opposite direction to get someone to help him. He knew that God had designed and had planned for this specific task. That's called wisdom and grace. That's called knowing your talents, your gifts, and your abilities. Barnabas knew he couldn't do this on his own. He knew he needed someone to help him. And even if it meant putting a pause on his ministry work to go 100 miles out of his way to get another friend, probably a week's journey and a week's journey back, that it was worth it. That's called wisdom. That's called grace. Later on in Acts chapter 13, Barnabas, Saul, and John Mark go on their first sponsored church missionary outreach. We call it the first missionary journeys in the book of Acts. Once again, Barnabas knows the value of teamwork. You need a team to keep the mission moving forward. Not just a team of pastors, but a team of people called the local church, right? To keep the mission moving forward. But not long into the trip, the text changes in Acts chapter 13 from Barnabas to Saul to Saul to Barnabas. And so the text is putting the more influential leader in the front. So it says more about Barnabas' character than I think it does about Saul's abilities. So Barnabas knows when to lead and he knows when to follow. He's keenly aware of his strengths and his weaknesses. He leads in his strengths but follows in his weaknesses. When they're going on missionary journeys, Barnabas says, okay, Saul, you take the lead. He knew that Saul had that ability to do that. He knew that he would be with Saul. As a team, they worked together. Later on, when they get to the Jerusalem church and and Barnabas has to address some more issues, Barnabas steps to the surface because the Jerusalem church trusts him. Trusts him, okay? So, this, this idea here that he is keenly aware of his strengths and weaknesses, sometimes we don't think about that. Because in the value of a team and teamwork, it's like the, 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 uh, the old adage says, you know, there's no I in team. And it, it is true. It's not there. But as a team, especially as a congregation, as a local body of believers, that's why we have spiritual gifts. Because each person on the team has a different gift. And you don't use those gifts. you got to use those gifts all You're using them all together in unity as one. You're not using a gift that you're not gifted. When somebody uses a gift that they're not gifted in, it doesn't look pretty. It doesn't look good. It it just doesn't, doesn't happen. 
this idea leads right into the next. And I'm moving fast because i got to get through something because I want to spend some time at the end. But number four, Barnabas gives testimony at the Jerusalem council. Acts chapter 15. Barnabas gives testimony at the Jerusalem council. Acts chapter 15. We talked about the Jerusalem council last week a little bit. Um, when Barnabas and Paul come back from the missionary journey, you know, they spent a year and a half or so on that first missionary journey, and they show up in Jerusalem for this special council meeting over the gospel going to the Gentiles. The order of their names reverts back. Now Barnabas steps in as first in importance. Again, Barnabas knows when to lead, when to follow. The church in Jerusalem sees him as a leader, the spokesman for the group, so he steps to the surface. And we mentioned this whole Jerusalem council idea that um, it was tasked at making a decision on Gentile inclusion into Christianity. Because at this time, Christianity was very, still very Jewish in nature. Um, and they didn't understand how can the gospel now go to the Gentiles too. Because Jesus was a Jew, it should be for the Jewish people. And so they were coming into the time of transition in the book of Acts. And they were coming into understanding this. So you have the testimony of Peter and Barnabas and Paul. And the fact that the Holy Spirit had descended on the Gentiles when they believed, just like it did on the day of Pentecost. Peter, like we talked about a few Sundays ago, steps in. He's given a lot of time to talk. I mean, this is Peter. I mean, this is is one of the inner circle of Jesus. I mean, this guy is important, okay? And so he talks about his experience with Cornelius. Then Barnabas steps in and says his piece. And Paul steps in and says their piece. And it's likely that their testimonies basically echoed what Peter was saying. And as a result, James, the leader of the Jerusalem church, he says that what God is doing among the Gentiles fits what the Bible says about God's plan. In other words, James says that God is clearly leading the church to accept these Gentile converts. But Barnabas' testimony is not highlighted like Peter's. Again, Barnabas knew that his testimony would contribute to the growing issue. Once again, Barnabas knows when to lead, when to follow. This time, Barnabas takes a back seat, lets Peter do all the talking, okay? Once again, it's clear that Barnabas, he's wise beyond his years. He doesn't care who gets the credit so long as the mission moves forward. Now, there are are many ministries all over the world that are growing by leaps and bounds because people in leadership don't care who gets the credit so long as the mission is moving forward. And in a similar way, there are just as many ministries floundering and falling apart because the leadership is bickering about who gets the credit, who gets to be in the limelight. Ultimately, in the context of Acts, it's the Holy Spirit who gets credit for moving the mission forward. And all leaders would do well to realize that they're just along, they're just along for the ride. I mean, you think about that. If all that matters is moving the mission forward, it shouldn't matter to us who gets the credit. It should not matter at all. Leadership is about, we don't care who gets the credit so long as the mission is moving forward. God can use different people in different ways. But a lot of these ministries, you see them all over the place. They're falling, they're floundering, they're falling apart because the leadership's bickering about who's getting the credit. 
shouldn't be about that. It should be about more than that. It's not our mission, it's his mission. And it's his mission that we're tasked of moving forward. And so Barnabas understands. We as a church ought to understand. Leadership, we understand that it's about moving the mission forward. So in the end, the, you know, the decision of the council meeting here, that the mission could continue to go forward, and the church kind of officially recognized the gospel, now going to all people groups, okay? It's going to all groups. So Barnabas' decision here, uh, his decision uh, to give testimony at the Jerusalem council, while it's minuscule and while it's small, it really doesn't even say he gives what it says he gives. It just says Barnabas and Paul gives testimony. That's all it says, okay? The fact that he was there, okay, he knew that if he wasn't there showing support for it, then it wasn't going to help move the mission forward. You say, what does my purpose in being in church on a Sunday morning, how do I help move the mission forward? Because you're here with us. You're here in service with us. You're worshiping with us as a body of believers. Together, we're commanded to assemble together and worship. You might think, how is my presence in a service moving the mission forward? I don't know, but I know it is. Because each person is unique and each person is specific. And just by being here tonight, just by being here on a Sunday morning, you're helping move the mission forward. You're getting uh, instruction. You're getting encouragement. You're helping move the mission forward. Just by you coming and showing up, there's a neighbor that sees you leave every single day at a certain time on Sunday. They know where you're going And even just by your actions and not even saying anything, you're helping move the mission forward. You know it's true. Otherwise, they would think you're just foolish and vain. Sometimes the quieter things, the things done just by your actions, sometimes become more powerful. Barnabas didn't say a word of the Jerusalem Council other than just give the testimony. We don't even know what he said. But just by him being there, he helped move the mission forward. And then number five, the last one for tonight. Barnabas believed in second chances. In second chances. Acts chapter 15. And look at verse 36. (laughs) Then after some days... Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take him with them, the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone uh, with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another, and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and remained, excuse me, and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God, and he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. So Barnabas believed in second chances. So when it was time to revisit the churches that Paul and Barnabas had planted on their first missionary journey, Acts 13 and 14, a conflict rises, okay? On their first journey, Paul and Barnabas and John Mark started out together. But when the first sign of trouble came, John Mark deserted the team 
and he goes back to Jerusalem. So he doesn't go on. He doesn't go the full length of the trip. The first part of the leg of the trip was to Cyprus from Jerusalem. They go to Cyprus, and John Mark's like, okay, this is too much. I'm done. Uh, I don't know if he said exactly that, but you get the idea. And he goes back, all right? He doesn't go with the rest of them, all right? So he deserts them. So Paul didn't want someone on his team who would flee at the first sight of danger, all right? Barnabas, on the other hand, wanted to give John Mark a second chance. After all, the gospel they were preaching is the same one we preach today as a gospel of second chances, right? And Paul, of all people, right? Paul, of all people, should know the power involved in a second chance because that's what he received on the Damascus Road. For 40 years, he was persecuting the church. Then God gave him a second chance, and he's been using that second chance for the glory of God. Paul, you think, would be a little more nice about it. Romans tells us the wages of sin is death, and death is what we would deserve because we're all sinners. Jesus came to this earth to die for the sins of mankind. Mankind's given a second chance. If you lived any length of life as a Christian, you know that God is a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances and sixth chances. And we can go on and on and on and on. But look at what the verse says in verse 36. Look at what it says. After some days, uh, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back now and visit our brethren in every city where we have now preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Verse 37. Now, Barnabas was determined. Okay, Your translation might say something else. Determined to take John Mark. Verse 38. But Paul insisted. Okay, In the Greek language, both of these verbs are in the imperfect tense. It's an ongoing activity. No, come on, we got to take him. I don't want to take him. Come on, we got to take him. I don't. And so neither Paul nor Barnabas let the issue go. And eventually it rose to the point of sharp contention. It says in verse uh, 39. And then the contention became so sharp, okay? And contention is a Greek medical term used to denote a violent spasm or a seizure, okay? So you get the idea of the word here. You can just picture the two going at each other, fingers pointing at all. I want to take him. No, he deserted us last time. Well, I think we should take him. No, and they just went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Paul shouts, it's the mission that's most important to Barnabas. Barnabas says, it's the people, Paul. Without the people, you can't have a mission. They just go back and forth. And by the way, that Greek word is neutral. It doesn't lay blame in any direction. It doesn't say one's at fault and one's not at fault. In reality, they're both right. I'm sure that if they were here before us debating the merits of their case, they both would have lots of Bible verses to back up their claim to, <laughs> wouldn't they? Well, what about this passage? Well, what about this passage? Well, and they would just go right at it. A.T. Robertson, a Greek scholar, he says this about this disagreement. He says, no one can rightly blame Barnabas for giving his cousin John Mark a second chance, nor Paul for fearing to risk him again. One's judgment may go with Paul, but one's heart goes with Barnabas. Both of them were right, and yet both of them didn't act like pillars of the church. Some of the church's greatest leaders have, difficult, have been difficult people. I like this statement by uh, Martin Luther, a famous reformer. He says this, and this is a self-evaluation of himself, okay? He's telling what he's like. I'm a rough boisterous, stormy, and altogether warlike, fighting against innumerable monsters and devils. 
I am born for the removing of stumps and stones, cutting away thistles and thorns, and clearing wild forests. That's how he describes himself. Okay? It's a rather sober evaluation, but Luther wasn't, wasn't exaggerating. If you read some of his stuff and you see his personality, you realize, no, no, that was very true about, about Martin Luther. But because of their conflict, Paul and Barnabas decide to part ways. They can't come to an agreement. You'd think that, right? Two of the great leaders of the early church, surely you can come together for an agreement. There's no agreement that's that bad that you can't come together for. And so they decide to part ways. Barnabas teams up with John Mark, and Paul teams up with Silas. You know, and the point I think for us to take from this text is that, that, that God can use irreconcilable disagreements between two parties for his benefit. Because you look at it, it says, now there are two missionary teams, right? Now twice as much ground can be covered. Twice as many people can hear the gospel message. Barnabas and John Mark head out to Cyprus, and Paul and Silas head the other direction. If you let it, and done in the proper way, conflict can produce growth if you do it right. Husbands and wives, we know this all too well, don't we? Conflict can produce growth if you do it in the right way. You learn from each other. And so Paul and his various missionary teams take the gospel further reaches of the known world, and Barnabas continues his efforts with John Mark. And you say, well, clearly Paul is the winner, right? Because look at all the things that Paul did. Well, Barnabas continued to really work with John Mark. John Mark would later pen the gospel of Mark that we read today. So I don't think Barnabas wasted his time. In fact, later on in Colossians chapter 4, Paul speaks of John Mark's value to him. So later on at the end of his ministry, Paul's like, yeah, you know what, Barnabas? My fault. I'm sorry. John Mark was actually really good for the ministry. But at that time, you know, I was a little, you know, upset about it. See, both, ba- both Paul and Barnabas knew that moving the mission forward was extremely vital, yet each one had their own ways of doing it. And for most of us, you know, Barnabas becomes overshadowed by the exploits of Paul. But we must remember that you don't have to be famous to be effective for God's church. All that's required is you keep the mission moving forward. When I think of moving the mission forward, I can't help but think about the mission of Christ and how he kept moving the mission forward. David Livingstone, a great African missionary, I like this quote, one of my favorite quotes of him. He says, God had an only son, and he was a missionary. And it's true. He was a missionary. Jesus was sent into the world with a mission. And the mission is best summed up, Luke 19, the Son of Man came to seek and save the loss. So the fundamental mission of Christ's time on earth was to fulfill God's plan for saving the lost. I'm happy to tell you today he completed that mission. We're all reaping the benefits of that once and for all sacrifice. But until he comes back, we have a responsibility to keep the mission moving forward. So we return to the original question. What are you doing to keep the mission moving forward? What about your talents? about your time? What about your sphere of influence that you have that other people don't have? What about your spiritual gifts? You see, the most fundamental way you can keep the mission forward, moving forward, is by getting involved in serving your church. That's essential. That's an essential part of keeping the mission moving forward. We have a plethora of ministries. All are constantly looking for volunteers. 
constantly to help keep the mission moving forward. And, and so you understand the specific point here about Barnabas. You know, he wasn't a heavy hitter in the book of Acts. Next to people like Paul or Peter or Stephen or James or John, he didn't do any miracles. Okay? Peter did. He didn't. He didn't raise anyone back from the dead. Peter did. He didn't preach any famous sermons. Stephen, Peter, James, John, they all preached famous sermons. None of that. All he did was use what God had given, what God had given him to keep the mission moving forward. And today it's the same because the mission of the church today is advanced in significant ways, not from the heavy hitters, not from the big names, not from the big time authors. The mission is advanced exponentially when people like you and me do what's ever necessary to keep the mission moving forward. It's exactly what it's about. Barnabas, not a big name, but listen, he did whatever it took to keep the mission moving forward. And, and that's the same thing that we need to do tonight, today. Keep the mission moving forward. Or as Brother Tim said this morning, focus on the work of God. Focus on the work of God, which means keep the mission moving forward. And who are you investing in to keep the mission moving forward? Barnabas only went after two people. That's it. Paul and John Mark. That's it. That's the only two he's got credit for. It's not these thousands of people that he's won to Christ. Just two. Just two. So surely in our lifetime, we can find two people and we can invest in those two people so we can keep the mission moving forward. Surely we can do that. Barnabas provides a great example, keeping the mission moving forward. Next week, we're going to talk about Stephen. And Stephen is my favorite. I'm sorry, I'm biased. But Stephen is my favorite. And I won't tell you what we're going to talk about with Stephen. That'll be a three-hour message next week. Just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Stephen is next week, so don't miss next week. 